0: Welcome back to the Content Lab, the podcast for all content managers, content writers, and content nerds out there. I am your co host, John Becker, revenue and features editor at Impact. And I am joined, as always, by Liz Moorhead. Hey, Liz.
1: Hi. Hello. I'm our editorial director. If you are not a first, what is it, long time listener, first time caller? Is that the term? <laughs> long time listener, first time. So oh,
0: this is a, we're entering what I call the holiday season. I, I just, Made it sound like I came up with that phrase. What I call the holiday season, I think everyone calls it the holiday season. Uh, we're going into Halloween and then Thanksgiving and Christmas, New Year's, Hanukkah, etc.
1: But we also just passed
0: a major national holiday, which was Liz Moore's birthday.
1: That's right. I am I am continuing my rapid descent descent toward ancient fossilhood. Uh, <laughs> hit, hit that beautiful big milestone of. 38. (laughs) No, I totally agree with you. It's the holiday season. I mean, let's be realistic. We always joke that time is a social construct, but let's just be realistic about how like 2020 has been. I was at the gym today right before recording this and I have had such a week in a good way, just a very packed mentally taxing week. I listened to Christmas music and you know what? For once, I didn't put myself <laughs> a private session on Spotify. I just let it rip. And a girlfriend of mine texted me on the way home and said, I was going to shame you for the Christmas music so early, but it's 2020. Get it, girl. You do you. <laughs> so, yes. But, we need yeah. a little
0: holiday spirit. It might bring out the best in us.
1: Yeah. And I was telling you this before we started recording today. I have very complex feelings about my birthday and about Halloween. Not like overwrought, pearl-clutching, hand-wringing like, oh, my birthday. It was more that I I was describing my mother to you. So for those who have never met me in person, I'm six feet tall and my personality matches that. But the stock I come from (laughs) is that of a five foot five, five foot six, boisterous, bouffant, coiffed, Italian woman who considered perfume a lifestyle choice as were her signature gold tooth earrings and whenever i had a birthday um it was an event and i'm not talking the event where it's like you have to invite everybody in your class elizabeth no like you have to no she would invite my class and then the class above and then the class below so i'd have all of these people i didn't meet or i had never met and of course because my birthday is the week of halloween I had to have a costume party and I didn't just have like a get the princess outfit out of the bag. No, no. There was a handmade costume. There was hair and makeup that would take two, three hours. Like this was an event. So I find Halloween birthdays and Halloween in general terrifying for a wide variety of reasons. (laughs) So like you think I have a big personality just like add about 50% icing on top of the personality cupcake and that was my mother.
0: (laughs) And also your party planner in this case.
1: Yes, absolutely. (laughs) It was very exciting, but I'm glad we're gonna talk about today's topic today, which is we're not just gonna talk about things that scare me like nom level flashbacks to my sixth birthday party. (laughs) We're talking about (laughs) things that spooky scary us, right?
0: Yeah, things that scare us in the content field or I don't know. Maybe we could think about it more broadly, but
1: it's a spooky time.
0: (laughs) Exactly, it's a spooky time of year. What is it that that scares us? That scares you? That scares me? And um, for everybody out there, happy Halloween and happy uh, kickoff to the holiday season. And this feels like the right way to go about it in a content lab sort of manner.
1: Let's enjoy our one day of Halloween before tomorrow it becomes Christmas. <laughs> like a meme. I, I was saying
0: I was saying that to my kids the other day, uh, and I am on the other end of the holiday season. I'm an early January birthday, so I feel your pain in that uh, our birthdays don't get the full due that they deserve because of we're a little bit overshadowed by some bigger national holidays. But I was saying that to my kids the other day. That wait until November first, the day after Halloween, you'll see the turnover in all the stores. It'll be Christmas music, Christmas trees. Oh, it's, all over. So it's you're not gonna be the only one listening to jingle
1: bells at the gym <laughs> anyway so talk to me what's something that spooky scares you ah well I don't know if I well
0: I was thinking of things this morning that that scare me as a content manager and this isn't necessarily directly related to uh, to content management but something that scares me is I have a phobia about Typing, what I'm calling like on stage. So like typing in front of people, uh, like they're watching me type, fill out a form, correct a document. So we're on a Zoom call or something, and I'm typing what they're saying, or you know, trying to take notes. And and I'm not a great speller, and I find myself just you know getting all this stage fright typing in front of people. So that was the first one that I had on my list of things that scare me. A oh my music. gosh, I
1: totally agree. My favorite is whenever like our editorial team is together and I'm the one taking like the meeting notes. And I remember one time you called out like Liz, you're typing so quickly and with such great accuracy. And the moment you said <laughs> it, it was as if I became functionally illiterate and had no pressure it like it was like I had ham fingers. I was just slapping the keyboard <laughs> like so of course 2 weeks later it's like Ramona, you're taking the meeting notes from now and I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs>
0: I did notice that switch over. Okay, so now I get a little bit more depth into uh, some
1: I'm insight a, into why I'm that, that happened. I'm a complex gal.
0: So I, I do not like typing on stage, as I'm calling I, it.
1: I don't like that either. My So there's like the there's the time you're doing it when you're just like, oh, I'm in a meeting, oh, this or that or whatever. But there were a couple of projects where I worked really closely with CEO Bob Ruffalo uh, on like website copywriting projects, and they were very hands-on. And I'm not saying that euphemistically is a negative. It's just, it, we, he and I were learning to like merge brains, you know, like I was learning how to execute his vision from a copy perspective. So there would be times I would literally be with him on a shared Google doc in a zoom typing out words. And he's like, no, I don't like that word. I'm like, type, type, type. You know, like it was. A, it's a lot of pressure. It's performative in a way, because I think some people always think like, oh, these words just fall perfectly out of our brains. It's like, no my messy first drafts remind me of my bedroom when i was six like they were not (laughs) it's not pretty spelling is optional and so having to suddenly be like a copywriter on cue in front of people is terrifying yes all
0: right so that's my first fear uh what's what's something that scares you
1: This is something I run into a couple of times where I think it's usually like when I first interview somebody for the first time or it's the first time I'm writing content for them, whether it's ghostwritten as them or I'm working with them on the project. The first time I actually have to deliver for them as a content creator, where it's not like under my voice or something like that. Um, The first time I have to slide a draft over. And I feel good about it, but I'm get very in my head about it. like, are they gonna hate it? Are they gonna reject it? Like that first piece of content is like a first impression. Even if they're still, even if they're still stuck with you for the remainder of the project and intellectually, you both know it's a draft. Like I always fear that moment that I've clearly just made up in my head where they're getting it and they go, that's it. Everybody keeps <laughs> talking about what hot ass Liz Moorhead is, and like this is what she's got. Like that freaks me out. And in fact, sometimes I will find myself not necessarily like delaying to the point of being late, but I'll delay sending things over. I'll just stare at things. It'll cripple me while I'm actually writing it. Like there, there is a lot of inner angst and self-abuse that occurs when I have to deliver something to somebody for the first time. Like that freaks me out a little bit.
0: Totally agree. And I tend to like overcompensate in the way that I package it. Like, remember this is a draft, label it rough draft. You know, I I try to hedge my bets as much as I can to make sure that they know that this is a part of a process. And that tends to quell my anxiety a little bit, but I hear you.
1: Yeah, I wanna put it like a big post-it note on it and be like, assume it was written by an eight year old who just is (laughs) exceptionally precocious with the dictionary. Like do not, but like it may be written in crayon. I did see you do that with one person. I had never noticed you doing that before until I was involved with something. You're like, this is a rough draft. Very rough draft. i like, <laughs> like, oh, I see you, John. I know how you're feeling right now. Yeah. <laughs> All right, what about you? What else is scaring you?
0: So I am scared by dark, spooky Zoom calls. So if you... Are on a Zoom call or a Google Meet or Microsoft Teams? Teams, something. I don't know. Supposedly is is taking off, but uh, learn the basic principles of lighting. Open your shades. Turn on a light. Or so I I feel like I'm so often in uh, in calls with people who look like they are in a haunted house. They look like they are in a cave. They look like they it's it's, you know, or, or they're in like a witness protection program being interviewed anonymously for some documentary where they're completely in silhouette. Turn your desk, turn on a lamp, do something. I, I think we are all living on Zoom nowadays, and uh, those pretty easy best practices go a long way in making you look presentable, look more authoritative, uh, and, and just more pleasant to look at. It's. it's uh, I think it's pretty rampant that we I don't know, at least in my experience, we're seeing people who are like masked and dark and shadowed and mysterious.
1: No, I completely agree. And I'll admit, um, I used to be one of the biggest offenders of that before we went into the pandemic times. I don't know if you remember this when I was still in the old house and I was in the basement and I wouldn't realize how dark it would get in there until I went on a Zoom call. And I am what some might call a Vamp- vampire chic when it comes to my complexion and <laughs> hair color so a very very pale face very very big big dark eyes so like it would just look like this weird little floating head but I remember I was writing an article recently about like how to get prepared for a virtual sales call and honestly I wish everybody could have read that section because like if you're if it looks like you're coming to someone live from a yurt in the Andes like you shouldn't this is not what we should be doing here. Like that's not what you should be putting forward. And I think it's really critical, especially in a content capacity. And I think sometimes people, when they show up to interviews, are like, eh, whatever, you know, I just need to be there. Maybe they just need their voice, whatever. So much of our ability, like as content managers it, to do well is to like build rapport and have it feel comfortable So when it's like weird and like poorly lit and you're not sure if it's an interview or the beginning of a Criminal Minds episode, like you just kind of got to, you got to balance that out.
0: And and we do say often, and I want to make sure that we temper this and it's clear what we're saying. You don't have to be overly produced. You don't have to be overly made up. I think there is, uh, it's so valuable to have a real human connection with someone to, you know, you see into someone's living room, you see into someone's someone's life. And I think that's good. Um, but there is a balance. You can also at least make it easy for you to see. The benefit of a Zoom call, as opposed to a phone call, is you can see people's facial expressions and understand if they're with you or not. And that's harder if, uh, you know, if it's dark. And I'll say along along with that, I don't really get the fake backgrounds thing. You know, like, fake background. Beach or something like that we is, is on. one thing. But I, I people do fake backgrounds of like nicer looking houses than the house they're in. And uh what are you
1: what are you hiding? We we got in there. Yeah. What what kind is it a criminal minds episode? Is it? <laughs> is it or the Teams ones? Did you know that the Microsoft team ones has like people sitting in seats like they're in an audience? But that's really confusing because you're supposed to be facing each other.
0: Yes. And it's rarely are we having a meeting where one person is on stage and everyone else is like, I mean, the very architecture of that sort of meeting is contrary to what I think most meetings are actually about. We're not going to lectures.
1: No, absolutely
0: not. Okay. So that's something that scares me. Liz, what scares you?
1: Oh gosh, what doesn't scare me? Um, I would say another really big thing that scares me is when this is a little self-serving. Um, what scares me is when I go into conversations with people and this is not all the time who underestimate how, what it takes to actually get a piece of content created. Like I'll be sitting in a meeting and we're working on a project and this doesn't happen very often anymore. Um, but you know, have you ever had those situations where you go in, you're like the content person. They're like, yeah, and that should only take you like an hour. And it's like, no. <laughs> No, <laughs> that's adorable. Like that would be amazing if that took an hour. Um, and that, and that's not that I want to pump the brakes and be the bad guy, but I think sometimes I get very nervous about people underestimating what underestimating what it takes to really do my job, your job, any sort of like content heavy job. You know, I had a situation a few months ago when I was first taking on the video strategy, for example. And I'm just going to throw him blatantly under the bus because it ended up being a great teaching moment for both of us. Um, So at the time, uh, our VP of marketing, Ben Gaeta, came, you know, he slacked me and said, hey, Liz, I've just been a little concerned about like you're very hands-on with the administration and what he'd been seeing in our new impact video channel was a lot of the stuff we do in comma drama, but more behind the scenes. Common drama is what we informally call our editorial team, by the way, Um, where it's like, hey, is this being done? How's this being managed? Where's this? Where's that? I'm like, and I just said, then this is what it takes. This is what my job is. Like, what? what did you think was supposed to happen? And so we ended up having this really good moment where just lesson learned for all you content creators out there. Don't just assume people are gonna learn through osmosis or should already know what you do. You have to be an advocate and, and being willing to educate people what it takes to actually do your job. But those moments like that are really scary because you're afraid you're gonna end up with arbitrary limits. And then you don't wanna let people down. Like the minute you have to tell them something takes longer there's always that moment of, <clears throat> will they accept it? Uh, you know, And then I just, then I mentally fall apart.
0: <laughs>
1: oh yeah. That would be mine
0: so connected to uh, my first typing my first fear of typing on stage as I called it, um, I have a a really strong phobia of trying to spell the word entrepreneur I'm you know I don't think I'll ever get it right Wait, like most, most most <laughs> most words that, most words that I spell wrong, I spell them wrong because I type them super fast. Like I, I like, like administration, I always spell wrong. Like there are a few words that I always spell wrong but I know that if I slowed down, I would spell them right. I know how they're spelled. It's just sort of like a muscle memory thing that I'm typing it very quickly. Entrepreneur, you could give me like five minutes to spell the word and I still don't think I'd get it right.
1: That's amazing. <laughs> it's like how I can't spell Wednesday without going like Wednesday. Wednesday, yep. February yeah whenever oh we learn God. was is that like
0: third grade or something whenever you learn that that has stuck you know more than like any other it's lesson forever. I, can't do, I can't do cursive but February I, so
1: I will now know to just like double check the spelling on anything like they ask you answer for entrepreneurs <laughs> <laughs> oh, French
0: words I can't do it
1: um my big fear is when AP style for those of you listening to this who have never heard of AP style before the reason why it seems like every newspaper and magazine you read follows the same set of editorial rules it's because they do and it's called AP style and most content managers i know use that particular style guide because it's clean no mas no fuss not a lot of extra bells and whistles but sometimes those little editors And you'll know this because you'll watch your content managers, or if you are a content manager yourself, you know exactly what I'm about to describe. 2016, when AP Style decided internet was no longer capitalized. Then there was the great breakdown of, I want to say 2019, when they decided, no, we're no longer writing out percent. It's just the percentage symbol from now on. Like these weird little arbitrary rules that don't sound like a big deal, but then they just come in. It's like, well, crap. I can't say no because I'm the editorial director and I've always been such a stickler as you know, for AP style. So I have to like do the thing. And then you have to unlearn it. And then you have to watch everyone like just completely emotionally unravel. If you go back on Twitter and look for the rule when they change the rule about the percentage sign, people went ballistic there were people like airing moral grievances about it and the purity of the style book and just all of this stuff so every time that happens like we haven't had a big rule change in a while and that makes me (laughs) nervous usually every every two years or so um something goes big and boom and bump in the night and it hasn't happened and it's 2020, and we said, like, if we get through this miracle year without a big AP style change, I will be flabbergasted. Maybe the
0: AP board is just—they're being respectful, considering everything else we're going through—that they don't want to shake us up too much right now. But you're right. I mean, it's—it's it's like you have to retrain yourself, and you also have to kind of retrain your eye based on what looks right. You know, like so often when we talk about grammar choices, we say, "Well, it doesn't look right," and. The great thing about a style guide is it it allows you to standardize all those things but then when something big changes it feels weird to suddenly go against the rule you've been doing all your life
1: oh 100 that's my favorite thing to always say because i my favorite little thing that we always get into in our little comma drama slack channel is but it doesn't look right when it's not capitalized and i just say well tough cookies it's not a proper noun. Like this is the year I could imagine. And I know saying this out loud, if it actually happens, somebody's going to come find me, but like 2020 is such a cluster. Like I could see this being the year that AP style takes some sort of dramatic stance on something like the Oxford comma, like just really just go like scorched earth. But like, (laughs) I'm really hoping like we're going to just scoot by this year unscathed.
0: So something that that scares me as a content manager or gives me the the heebie-jeebies is if I'm sitting down to edit a piece and there is a a, a notable error in the first sentence. Oh God. It's like, if you're a writer, you, you gotta nail that first sentence. Like people will be bought in or not bought in. Obviously it's gonna go through an editor, so it's gonna get cleaned up. But your first sentence, means everything it's, it's it's a reason why we have like these famous first you know call me ishmael or it was the best of times it was the worst of times like these these famous opening lines are so memorable in our culture and even if you're just writing a blog post or, or an article first sentence matters so much and you immediately you, know, you think about your audience in that first sentence your audience is either like leaning in or like stepping away and I, I used to be an English teacher and I would always tell my students like, you're trying to win over your audience and your audience is making assumptions about your, your work and your, even like your intelligence, the, the veracity of your argument based on that first sentence, based on that first paragraph. And if you win them over, it's the same reason that you know if you like make it, like you said, like make a, first, a great first impression on someone they're more likely to see you favorably going forward. And if you, you know, your first sentence, your first paragraph is a first uh, is a first impression. Whether you're making it on your editor or eventually on your reader, nail that first sentence. And we have great content about how to write a good introduction. Uh, but nail that first sentence. Don't make it a, a sloppy error or a you know, don't phone it in in the beginning. Um, ideally, don't phone it in anywhere. But If you phone it in the beginning, people are just gonna be immediately turned off. They're gonna click away. They're gonna scroll past it. Like, it's just not, you miss your opportunity. I remember seeing something um, in, and granted this was only a commercial, but it was a commercial for Masterclass, which I never ponied up the money to do. I thought it seemed like a cool idea, but it just seemed like a lot of money. But it was um, Steve Martin, the comedian said like, any comedian, any stand-up comedian who goes out on stage and says, So how's everybody doing tonight? Which is like the the stock line that, that everyone says. He's like, You you've you've already blown your biggest opportunity. Like that is, you have your first line, you this chance to like do something interesting, to do something different. And if you phone it in, you you're just kind of you went from like possibly great to average.
1: You know, I've got a couple of thoughts that came to mind when you were explaining all these things. Number one, um, it would be really funny to me if A Tale of Two Cities began. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. What would have worst was spelled like worst, like Liverwort. I would immediately be transported out of the French Revolution and immediately to Germany with a new bomb ban. Uh, number two, I, there's something so funny that you mentioned about the first line. Um, so I'm a big fan of Saturday night live, not just like watching it. I even watch the bad seasons because there's this whole concept of, there's this quote that Lauren Michaels gave one time. We don't go on because we're ready. We go on because it's 1130 and it's Saturday night. Like, I just love that. And I think our audience is so vicious toward people where it's like, how are they even marginally funny that every week? Like that's unbelievable to me, but anyway, so Bill Hader, who is lauded as like one of the best who's ever been on the series. Um, and, you know, he's gone on to like create Barry and do all these things. He apparently actually had like insane stage fright, like crippling anxiety, not just like, oh, I get a little nervous. Well, people like me, like he would like really freak out. And he told this story about how he would always intentionally screw up his first line. Like he would always do like a little deviation because that would give him permission to say like, well, I've already screwed up. So everything's going to be fine. And I just always thought that was kind of neat.
0: That's a great story. Yeah. Huh?
1: Yeah. So like he always goes out and says like, it, like it might just be little instead of like, hello everybody. How's it going? He might say, Hey everyone, what's up? Like just something that's like a complete deviation from what's actually on the paper, even if like, it's still fundamentally the same, just because it allowed him to give it like, say like, Oh, everything's fine. But completely agree. Like in the writing capacity, you're not a leader. This is, know. And like the minute somebody drops the ball, it's like, oh man, come on. Cause like audiences are fickle. They are equally wanting to cheer for you, but also call you an idiot. Like, I can't tell you how quickly people write those emails where it's like, this is so good, blah, 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 blah. You dropped a word in the first paragraph. It's like, you know, like people are just ready to call you on it. Absolutely. So, do you have any more? any more fears? I'm trying I have to... one more. You do? Okay, you go yeah, first. I, I do have one more, but you are so like, ready to tell yours, I wanna hear it. Okay, well,
0: I, I, I have like, sometimes almost crippling secondhand anxiety, not really crippling, I'm, I'm playing this up for drama, but uh, I get like secondhand anxiety when someone shares their screen. And first of all, like way too many tabs open too many tabs (laughs) like it it just makes or they're like desktop is really messy with lots of files those sorts of things clean it up clean it up open a new window share some of your tabs between windows i'm or
1: now i think i have like 20 tabs open
0: i have like 20 tabs open too but they're in different windows so i can at least read the headings and the other thing is when they're like battery is at like 4% and they're typing and they're talking and I'm like come on just plug your computer in I'm like watching this like it's a you know ticking down bomb timer in a James Bond movie it's it's uh it's anxiety producing for me so close some tabs share some windows plug in your computer clean up your desktop it's going to make everyone who has like OCD
1: less anxious so what I'm hearing from you is next time we have a meeting I show up it should be pitch black I should Mm -hmm. emerge from the shadows never be quite well lit enough sound like I'm going through some sort of auto recorder Mm. and when I share my screen it should have a hundred icons and as many tabs open as possible
0: and then just type entrepreneur over and over over and over (laughs) over again yeah
1: that's literally like your biggest nightmare (laughs) oh my god Uh. um (laughs) <laughs> my my final fear is it's kind of the inverse of one of the first one that I shared which is when I'm giving a draft to someone for the first time it's when I'm getting a draft from someone for the first time and they'll say things like yeah it'll only take like whatever it should only take you 15 minutes and you open it up and everybody has this moment where you literally feel something like right here like plummet to the bottom of your body from the top of your chest and in your head you're just like Oh dear God. <laughs> and you're just like, it's like going through the jungle. You're like pulling like back hanging vines. Like what is this word doing here? What is this? What does this even mean? What is a synergistic management solution? Like what is all of this? I find this a lot, mostly in like website copywriting as opposed to like getting a draft. Cause that usually is a little bit more conversational. Like you, ha- you might have to get some like, you know, figurative duct tape and fishing wire to get it all reined back in where it needs to go. But like sometimes when I open up those drafts for the first time, sometimes it's a gift. Sometimes it's like, oh, it really is only going to take 15 to 20 minutes. And then sometimes it's the oh dear God, what have they done? What have they done to this beautiful language? That's that is that is a seven line paragraph. That is one sentence. How is that even possible? (laughs) You know, so that's my last one. When you open up the big box of poopy diapers (laughs) i've
0: been there i've been there
1: yeah well i don't want to talk about scary things anymore they're freaking me out you give me the heat i like that you used heebie-jeebies that is a that is a woefully underused phrase but that a lot of that was like reliving some trauma so let's segue let's move along John. I'm open. Absolutely.
0: So today uh, in the Learning Corner, I want to talk about anchor text and that is uh, the text of a link. So when you have a link on your web page, on an article, even in an email or or a Slack message, uh, whatever's underlined in blue that someone would click on to get somewhere, uh, that is the anchor text. Mm -hmm. So it's so easy and it's, it's it's almost offhand to just have the anchor text say, like, here, or click here, or link, or something that has no description whatsoever. Um, people don't know, but anchor text is actually related to SEO. Uh, anchor text is also really important for screen readers. So for people who have difficulty uh, reading, a, a screen reader will jump from, uh, Anchor text anchor anchor text from link to link uh, so make sure that what you link the text that you link is descriptive and provides some sort of context so it doesn't need to be like a whole sentence or it can certainly be too long and that makes it a little bit hard to read but long enough to contextualize the link so rather than um, you know click here click here and have that highlighted say uh, here's the document we talked about or here's this you know the study or or something um there are plenty of places that can give you some tips about how to do that well but if you're a good rule of thumb is just to think about if if you were to just come across that uh, does it provide enough information that the person who is clicking on it knows exactly what they'd be getting Mm -hmm. and it's also important to, to know that uh you can change settings so that that link opens in a new page or in the same page. So uh, if you wanted to open in a new page or a new tab, which which I think is preferable, (laughs) Liz has a meeting coming up. Uh, If you want to open in a new tab, you can set that as a uh, as a setting. So anchor text, do it better.
1: you want to know what's tragic? I don't have a meeting coming up. That was just a notification for my writing period. Go Liz gosh, it was better than earlier today during our interview. And I had like four go off like fireworks in rapid succession. Anyway, it, it was I, a lot. I'm really glad that you wow, hurtful. If you if you say something is a lot, that's like a big deal. No, I I completely agree with you that the, you did mention like one other thing that actually scares me a little bit, like when I get a draft and somebody is like, linked an obscene amount of text. I usually see it when somebody's like quoting a statistic. And it's like, according to the most recent HubSpot state of inbound report, 86% of people still prefer lemons in their content over oranges or something like that. Yeah. And they'll like 50% of whatever. And then they like go on and link it forever. It's like, no, no, just link the statistic. Link the statistic, that's it.
0: You're here.
1: Done, anyway. Um, so my reading is actually something I got for my birthday. It's called John Cleese's creativity. And I love this. It's a teeny tiny book, not dense or difficult to read at all. I've, li- I've started reading this last night and I've gotten through three quarters of it already. And I, that's not because like I'm a voracious reader or anything. It's a very simple, easy to read book. And the reason I love it is that it embraces the same principle I have about writing which is whenever people come up to me and they're just like, Oh, Liz, you're such a great writer. I, but I'm just naturally not a great writer. I'm like, I was a garbage writer. I hated it. I was the bane of every English teacher's existence that I ever met. Like I was the worst. Um, which means if I can do it, anybody can do it. And on the back, it said, there's a quote from him that says, there's a myth that creativity is something you have to be born with. This isn't the case. Anyone can be creative. And so it's this great little, actually like very tactical, but very funny manual. So John Cleese, for those who don't know, is one of the members of the iconic Mon- Monty Python's Flying Circus. Um, so incredibly funny, very like just it, like obscenely funny. And it, what I love about this book is that it talks about things like how you deal with creative setbacks, how you keep coming up with ideas when you feel like you don't have any more. And it does so in this incredibly succinct, short way. He tells really funny stories about, you know, like when he had to do this stuff, when he was doing his own sketch writing and things like that. And I just, I can't recommend it more. And also thank you to our, um, to Chris Dupre, who's our lead strategist, um, who gave this to me. Cause it's just, it's absolutely outstanding. Um, one of my favorite things is called Kill Your Darlings, um, which is the fact that like, you have to be willing to slaughter the stuff you create for the sake of getting it right. Um, I always like to joke that I hope no one ever sees the quote floor of my editing room, which doesn't really exist because it's like littered with jokes, anecdotes, all the things I've slashed and burned for the sake of doing it right. Um, So yeah, overall just 10 out of 10 would recommend. Love it. Sure. It's a short, quick book. If you want to get inspired I also think it's a really great book for those people who want to do some professional development, but haven't done a lot of reading recently. It's a great, easy, quick book to kind of get back in the practice of reading. Fantastic. Yeah. That's all I got though. That's
0: it. Are you going to dress up for Halloween?
1: I have to, I have to, Um, I am doing like a nice little like socially distanced small get together. So I'm going as an iron chef. So I'm taking the William sonoma apron I have hanging in my kitchen and taking a piece of paper and just drawing out the periodic symbol for iron.
0: Okay. I was picturing like the no. iron. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That would be. No, that,
1: that requires carrying an appliance. <laughs> and I don't want to do that. Um, so yeah, I am grudgingly dressing up. Thankfully, no hair and makeup. so yeah i'm dressing up are you
0: yes we are we're going as a like a family of artists so um uh like my my daughter is going to be frida Kahlo, and my son is going to be bob ross and i am going to be vincent van gogh and my wife is going to be pablo picasso so we're gonna all work together
1: you know, I'm what I'm about to say is a compliment of the highest order because you know how much I love his movies, but you guys always are like one inch from being in a Wes Anderson movie, like just <laughs> like near inches away from like being in that. Anyway, well that is I guess, a compliment. I guess that brings us into it brings us uh, to the end of another great episode. Absolutely. Uh, happy feel, Halloween, everyone.
0: <laughs> absolutely. I feel great having gotten all those fears off my chest. I know
1: i do feel emotionally cleansed so let's go find some new ones by going and doing some work sound like a good idea Sounds good. all right bye everybody bye-bye